the African History Network, the African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. It is Monday, January 10th, 2022, and we are live. All right, we had a very busy weekend, and uh, we didn't broadcast uh, this Sunday. I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday, so I'm going to share a segment from Roland Martin Unfiltered, and then also we know uh this past week this past thursday uh thursday january 6th and we found out um the next day we found out january 7th that legendary uh actor and also director sydney portier passed away at age 94. so we're going to talk some uh about uh sydney portier and his legacy and some of this history as well. I was going to broadcast on uh, Sunday, but I was tired and I taught a three hour class on Sunday also. Uh, another installment of Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So I taught, taught another installment of that. And I was working on some other things. So I said, okay, we'll deal with this on Monday show. Now, also, uh, when I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered, we also dealt with the three white men who uh, were convicted of killing Ahmad Arbery. OK, Gregory met Michael, Travis met Michael and William Roddy Bryan. Uh, we know on uh, Friday they were uh, convicted. I'm sorry. On Friday, they were sentenced uh, based upon the conviction of uh killing Ahmad Arbery. Okay. We're gonna talk about the sentencing as well. I dealt with this on uh we talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Okay, now on the African History Network show we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself, what you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. All right, so we're going to jump into this topic. Now, you can give us a call and share your memories uh, that you have as well uh, regarding uh, Sidney Poitier. Call the numbers 313-778, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. And we're also broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So uh, turn on live notifications uh, there also. Okay. Um, I want to jump in. So New York Times had a, a really good article dealing with uh, Sidney Poitier and his legacy. It was a big piece from uh, the New York Times. Sidney Poitier, who paved the way for black actors in film dies at 94. Okay. But we also know he was involved in the civil rights movement. He helped raise money. He and, and Harry Belafonte and others helped raise money for the civil rights movement as well. He was friends with Dr. King. So 
Uh, I mean, he was, uh, many people describe him as a Renaissance man. So this is a uh, significant loss, okay, uh, when it comes to being a humanitarian, when it comes to uh, film and, and, and breaking down uh, barriers. And, you know, people remember him from, especially 1967 was probably his biggest year when he uh, starred in In the Heat of the Night. He also starred in um, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and uh, also To Serve with Love. And I remember watching all those back in the 70s. I wasn't born in 67, but I remember watching all those movies in the uh, uh, 1970s. Okay, so if we look at this article here from uh, NBC News, Sydney Port, I'm sorry, uh, this one here is from um, New York Times. And we're going to go to clip one here in just a second, Shakita, uh, that I just sent you. Uh, Sydney Portier, who paved the way for black actors uh, dies at, uh, at 94. The first African-American performer to win the Academy Award for Best Actor for the 1963 movie, uh, Lilies of the Field. He once said he felt, quote, as if I were representing 15, 18 million people with every movie I made, okay? So that's a, uh, a lot of responsibility that's a lot of weight uh, on you. All right, so uh, Sidney Poitier, whose portrayal of resolute heroes in films like To Serve With Love and The Heat of the Night and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, established him as Hollywood's first black matinee idol and helped open the door for African-American actors in the film industry. Uh, we know he passed away on uh, Thursday, January 6th. Thursday, January 6th, at his home in Los Angeles, California. He was 94 years old. Now, his death was confirmed by Eugene Torchin Nuri, um, acting director general of the Ministry for Foreign Affairs in the Bahamas, where Sidney Poitier grew up. Uh, so far, no cause of death has been given. Now, he was 94 years old also. Could very well be just natural causes. Um so Sidney Poitier, whose Academy Award, um, now, so although often simmering, and I want to pull this picture up here also, although often simmering with repressed anger, although often simmering with uh, repressed anger. Okay, let's go to this here. Um, although often and simmering with repressed anger, characters responded to injustice with quiet determination. They met hatred with reason and forgiveness, sending a reassuring message to white audiences and exposing Sidney Poitier to uh, attack as an Uncle Tom when the civil rights movement took a more militant turn in the late 1960s. So that was criticism that he got even for, you know, uh, the uh, the movie uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And he was engaged to a white woman uh, in, uh, in the movie as well. It dealt with interracial marriage and things like this. But nonetheless, you know, it was these these roles back in. So oftentimes when we look at the roles that are played, we look at them from 
today's standards as opposed to the standards in the era that uh, the films were made, okay? And, you know, I remember seeing um, the movie In the Heat of the Night from 1967. Uh, I remember seeing that in the 1970s and how that was such a significant role uh, in the 1970s, he goes down to Mississippi and he's a detective, African-American detective from um, Philadelphia. Okay. And he is, uh, he's dealing with this white supremacist, uh, this bigoted uh, police chief. Okay. Chief Gillespie played by Rod Steiger. And as he navigates throughout th this racism in uh, Mississippi, we all remember when they go to the greenhouse, when they go to the, to the house of Endicott, Endicott owns this uh, plant, this plantation and the scene where uh, Endicott, the white man sl uh, slaps Sidney Portier and Sidney Portier slaps him back. Okay. Now I posted that clip on our Facebook fan page, the African history network uh, the day that we found out he passed away. And I said, this was the slap heard around the world this was the slap heard around the world because I'm sure there's a whole lot. I mean, this is during the civil rights movement, 1967, two years after Malcolm X is assassinated. And this was, um, uh, the year before Dr. King was assassinated. Okay. And in, it's in Mississippi, Monday, Mississippi, August 28th, 1955, that Emmett Till is killed. Okay. So that was a slap heard around the world. And I could just imagine in the movie theaters, when that when uh, Sidney Poitier slapped a white man back, I could just imagine African Americans just clapping probably for the next 10, 15 minutes, right? <laughs> we'll deal with this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable at sage and elm apothecary our handcrafted skin care and household products immerse you in earth's sweetest nectar connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined see for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com the work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. and She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. 
history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation Feature Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, January 10th, 2021, and we are live. All right, if you uh, still need to register for the online courses I teach on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, if you missed uh, class this past Sunday, January 9th, uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We had a great class. Uh, on Sunday, I ended up doing almost three hours. It was about two hours and 54 minutes, two hours, 55 minutes, something like that. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to uh, the transatlantic slave trade uh, taking place. So visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register uh, for the class. As soon as you register, you can watch the uh, class we did this past Sunday, and we have we have a uh, special bundle pack on sale right now, only seventy dollars because the class is regularly one hundred thirty dollars each. But we have a special bundle pack you can register for both classes for only seventy dollars. So from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, eighteen sixty five to nineteen sixty eight, and then also um, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach them in school, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa. All right. Um, Calling numbers 313-778-7600. We're talking about uh, Sidney Poitier and the legacy of Sidney Poitier. We got the news on Friday, January 7th, that he had passed away um, the, the night before, uh, the evening before. And, you know, I, I can remember going. So this the past couple of days, I've been going uh, back through watching uh, a piece of the action. I watched uh, a piece. Of, I finished watching a piece of the action today, Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby. And then um, yesterday I watched. Um, let's do what? Well, well, I watched the um, I watched the piece of the action yesterday and I started watching. Let's do it again last night and finished watch watching. Let's do it again uh, today. And then let's do it again. Uh, uh, Bootney Farnsworth. It has. um uh, Jimmy J.J. Walker and uh, John Amos, okay, uh, in in the movie. So, I mean, these are classic movies. Uh, they made three classic movies, uh, Uptown Saturday Night, uh, both with Calvin Lockhart, and uh, uh, Let's Do It Again with Calvin Lockhart also. And um, you have uh, a piece of the action, uh, Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier, and um it has uh James Earl Jones and and um um and James Earl Jones is in there as well. Um so uh, these are classic movies. All right. So he passed away Thursday night uh in Los Angeles uh at his home. Uh Denise Nicholas is in two of the movies. She's in um a piece of the action in Uptown Saturday Night. Okay, uh, wait a second. She's in a piece of the action, and let's do it again. Okay, <laughs> Denise Nicholas. All right, who used to be on Room Two Twenty Two 
back in the 1970s, early 1970s. I remember that show also, Room 222, which is about uh, high school teachers. Okay, I want to go to this clip here. Let's go to clip number one, Shakita. Uh, this is uh, the clip when we got the news uh, from uh, MSNBC that Sidney Poitier had passed away. Some breaking news to share with you this morning. NBC News has confirmed that legendary actor Sidney Poitier is dead at the age of 94. Poitier was the first black man to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. In 2009, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. NBC's Joe Fryer takes a look back at Poitier's legacy. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Sidney Poitier played characters who jumped off the screen. Opposite Rod Steiger in the heat of the night. Now, where did you earn it? I'm a police officer. Amen. And in the lilies of the field, handyman Homer Smith. Lots of luck, mother. I ain't building no chapel. Yeah, you. The role that won him the first ever lead actor Oscar for an African-American. It is a long journey to this moment. Raised in the Bahamas, he'd moved to Harlem as a teenager and endured the usual hard scrabble climb to an actor's life. Then came no way out when the groundbreaking 1950 Joseph Mankiewicz film about racism. You watch yourself, black boy. Watch how you talk to me. Just shut up. Poitier played a doctor. In a performance so powerful, the film was credited with ending British colonial rule in the Bahamas. And the intense 22-year-old performer, Hollywood, had its first African-American screen star. Why you black? Go ahead and see it. A first, he would later point out, that was too long in coming. If we are 40 million Americans, we certainly ought to have more than one movie star. Maybe I'll get down on my black knees. But he wasn't just a movie star. He was the embodiment of a proud and dignified black point of view in the American conversation about race that accelerated along with the civil rights movement. In 67, he reached Hollywood's mountaintop, its top-earning leading man, as Virgil Tibbs, righteous enough to slap in return the white politician who slapped him. There was a time when I could have had you shot. And in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is Dr. John Prentice, half of an interracial couple, telling his disapproving father times have changed. I'm your son. I love you. But you think of yourself as a colored man. I think of myself as a man. In the 70s, he moved from acting to directing. Some critics said he played the same role too many times. Okay, let's get out of here. And as a director, he was a moneymaker with hits like Stir and his buddy movies with Bill Cosby. Our whole nation totters on the brink of disaster. But his enduring images of a man and actor of principle. No surprise, he would play Mandela. The man whose existence among us made racism less palatable, as he noted after receiving a Lifetime Achievement Oscar. Not because I brought so much, because, but because the time was right. Circumstances were right. The time has come. Sidney Poitier, the right man for his time. Joe Fryer, NBC News. To serve with love. All right. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let it play. The Poitiers' life story will soon be coming to Broadway. Okay. So, um, 
he passed away at age 94. There was a story from um, People Magazine. I'm going to bring this up also here from People Magazine. Um, we know that uh, he and Harry Belafonte were lifelong friends. Uh, uh, Harry Belafonte's, uh, one of his daughters said that um, he wasn't taking Sidney Poitier's uh, passing too well. He was taking it really hard. I'm going to bring that article up also. Uh, we'll try to get that. We, I posted that on our uh, Facebook fan page, the African History Network. Okay. So a, a, a movie that I talk about in the uh, online classes that I teach in the movie that I've been talking about recently is uh, Buck and the Preacher. Buck and the Preacher starring um, Harry Belafonte, who starring Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte. Okay. And Buck and the Preacher uh, takes place in during Reconstruction. Okay. And it's about this uh, uh, wagon train of African Americans, former slaves, and they're going out uh, west into the Kansas Territory. And um, uh, Buck, played by Sidney Poitier is a scout and he's uh, has to negotiate with Native Americans to let them through uh, territory that Native Americans control. And they're dealing with uh, white supremacists who are trying to attack the wagon train and send them back where they came from, things like this. Right. And uh, Harry Belafonte plays uh, the preacher, this, this con man uh, preacher, and they have to unite and deal with um, these white people who are trying to turn back the uh, wagon train, okay? And Ruby D stars in it also. It's a, a really, really good movie, Buck and the Preacher. I've seen it a number of times. Um, and you're dealing with a period of history where uh, this, this migration out West really did happen. Now, Buck and the Preacher takes place in... Uh, the late 1860s. Okay. But in 1879, you had what's known as the, uh, the exodus, uh, the, the exodus or the black exodus into Kansas in 1879. And these were African-Americans primarily leaving is about 6,000 of them in 1879 that go out to um, Kansas and they're leaving uh, Louisiana and Texas primarily and some other Southern states around the Southern states, but especially the Louisiana and Texas. And this was after, uh, Democrats, uh, took back control of the state house, uh, the state legislature, I should say the state legislature in, in statewide government in, uh, Louisiana in the 1878, uh, statewide election. Okay. And because of those circumstances, you're going to have a lot of African-Americans leaving uh, from Louisiana, but also from Texas. It's about 6,000 of them in one year going to Kansas and is known as the Exodus or also known as the Black Exodus. And they were called Exodusters. So it's very similar to what you see depicted in the movie Buck and the Preacher. But Buck and the Preacher is a few years before that. Okay. We're going to continue this on the other side of the break. Uh, so there, there was this article from uh, uh, People.com and uh, Harry Belafonte's daughter says uh, Sidney Poitier's death 
is uh, the most difficult. Let me pull this up here. Harry Belafonte's uh, daughter says Sidney Poitier's death is uh, most difficult thing he's had to fathom. Sherry Belafonte is revealing how the Oscar winner's passing is affecting her dad after their decades-long friendship. Okay, so uh, we'll talk about this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. iRedify is a black-owned digital platform that showcases black and brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read ebooks, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Nine ten, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, Feature Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, January 10th, 2022, and we are live. Uh, right before the break, uh, we were talking about the passing of Sidney Poitier, and I was talking about the um, movie Buck and the Preacher, Buck and the Preacher. Okay, I've seen it a number of times, and and I, I talk about this movie um, in my uh, one of the classes that I teach uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, eighteen sixty five to nineteen sixty eight, because um, even though Buck and the Preacher takes place in the late eighteen sixties, it takes place after slavery ends in eighteen sixty five, is during Reconstruction, but it is um, it's very similar to the uh, Exodus uh, of 1879, where you have about 6,000 African-Americans going out north. And it's also, it's, you, you'll see it referred to as the Exodus or the Black Exodus. And they're going uh, um, out west, I should say, into Kansas, okay? Uh, it's the uh, Exodus of 1879. And uh, I was going to bring up an article here uh, dealing with this. But you're going to have about 6,000 um, African-Americans during that uh, during that year going to Kansas and they're looking for a better way of life. These are uh, most of them former slaves. There's a piece from 
National Park Services, uh, NPS.gov, National Park Services. And this deals with the uh, Exodus of 1879. And in Buck and the Preacher, they uh, this is a wagon train of African-Americans going out to Kansas. Exodusters, they were called Exodusters, okay? Uh, in 1879, an African-American man from Louisiana wrote a letter to the governor of Kansas that read in part, I am very anxious to reach your state, not just because of the great race now made for, uh, not just because of the great race now made for it, but because of the sacredness of her soil washed by the blood of humanitarians for the cause of black freedom. And uh, they go through and they talk about the, uh, uh, they deal with the post-Civil War uh, era, but they deal with uh, black migration to Kansas prior to the great exodus. Then they talk about the uh, exodus of 1879. The great exodus of African-Americans was largely influenced by the outcome of the 1878 elections in the state of Louisiana, in which, uh, let me scroll back up here, state of Louisiana, in which the Democratic Party made major gains by winning several congressional seats and the governorship, several congressional seats and the governorship. So now this is two years after the uh, Compromise of 1877 that has ended Reconstruction, all right? So in Bucking the Preacher, it's taking place during Reconstruction in the late 1860s. The actual great exodus or black exodus of 6,000 African-Americans going out to Kansas took place after two years after Reconstruction ended. Free, uh, freed blacks, largely Republican supporters, were coerced, threatened, assaulted, and even murdered to keep them away from the ballot box. When the final tallies were in and the Democrats uh, claimed almost total victory, many black Louisianans uh, knew that the time had come for them to abandon their state and join those already in Kansas. Okay, read the rest of this here. Uh, this deals with the black exodus of 1879. Exodusters, this is at nps.org national uh, park service. Okay, so um, there's so many movies that uh, Sidney Poitier is uh, known for. Three of my favorite are, uh, well, four of them are In the Heat of the Night, which became a TV series. Um, and also, Let's Do It Again, uh, Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby. Those three movies, now, they should have made, I think they should have made more movies. Those are some hilarious movies, okay? <laughs> And then in uh, a piece of the action, no, and, let, and let's do it again. You had George Foreman in the movie. And the day is George Foreman's birthday also. You had George Foreman in the movie. And also Jane Kennedy is in the beginning of the movie as well, right? <laughs> so um, I like so I like those two movies. Now, um, a piece of the action, and let's do it again, I probably like, more than Uptown Saturday Night because Denise Nicholas is in a piece of the action and let's do it again, okay? <laughs> All right, so let's go back to, uh, let me go back to this one here. Uh, this is a really good article from New York Times. We're gonna go to clip two here in just a second, Shakita from uh, Roland Martin and Filtered. So the Defiant Ones in 1958, so some of the movies that um, Sidney Poitier was in 
dealt with race, but it, it dealt with it from um, a perspective of um, the African-American character being more um, uh, being uh, maybe you, you would say this being less militant as maybe some people want it um, in the defiant ones, it was came out in 1958. It was a racial fable that established uh, Sidney Poitier as a star and earned him an Academy Award nomination for best actor. He was a prisoner on the run handcuffed to a fellow convict who was a virulent racist played by Tony Curtis. The Best Actor Award came in 1964 for his performance in the low-budget uh, film Lilies of the Field as an uh, itinerant handyman helping a group of German nuns build a church in the southwestern desert. Now, you would think he gets nominated for Best Actor for In the Heat of the Night. He wasn't nominated for In the Heat of the Night. Okay? He was nominated in 64 for lilies of the field which came out before in the heat of the night which in 67 was probably his biggest year because he's in three he was the uh biggest earning leading man in 67 and he was in three big movies to serve with love in the heat of the night and um guess who's coming to dinner in 1967 sydney portier appeared in three of hollywood's top grossing films elevating him to the peak of his popularity Quote, in the, uh, in the heat of the night, placed him opposite Rod Steiger as an indolent, bigoted sheriff with whom Virgil Tibbs, the Philadelphia uh, detective played by Sidney Poitier, must work on a murder investigation in Mississippi. In an indelible line, the detective insists on the sheriff's respect when he declares, they call me Mr. Tibbs. So even though in some of the roles, Sidney Poitier may not have been as quote unquote militant or forceful as, as some people wanted him to be, even within the context of Virgil Tibbs demanding, because the police chief Gillespie calls him boy. Okay. And they're in Mississippi. Mississippi is the state that had the most number of lynchings. From 1882 to 1968, they had 581 lynchings in Mississippi. They have more lynchings in Mississippi than any other state in the union. So when he says, don't call me boy, and, and he says, well, what do they call you then? He said, they call me Mr. Tibbs, right? I mean, this is like really striking a blow for the humanity of African-Americans during the civil rights movement. This is the year before Dr. King's assassinated. This is two years after the Voting Rights Act is passed. Three years after the Civil Rights Act is passed, a year before Dr. King is assassinated, this is in the same year that uh, Dr. King and uh, Muhammad Ali both come out in uh, opposition to the Vietnam War. Okay, and it was the uh, uh, March 30th, 1967. There was a press conference. What well, was it, you call it? A press conference or interview? Associated Press did an interview with Muhammad Ali and Dr. King because they had just had a meeting and they came out of the meeting. And they're talking to the press and they both uh, address their opposition to the Vietnam War. Then next month, April 1967 is going to be a really turbulent month because April 4th, 1967, Dr. King delivers uh, his speech beyond Vietnam 
uh, coming out really in opposition to the Vietnam War and doing a speech in opposition to the Vietnam War. He's assassinated exactly one year to the date that he gave that speech beyond Vietnam. He's assassinated April 4th, 1968. Then late April 67, Muhammad Ali refuses to be drafted into the military. He refuses to take the step forward to be drafted into the army. All right. So all this is in the same year that um, they call me uh, that the, the, in the heat of the night comes out as well. Okay. So, and then once again, when Sidney Poitier slaps Endicott in Mississippi and in the heat of the night, that was the slap heard around the world. There's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of African Americans that want to slap back, but couldn't. There's a lot of us that want to slap back and fight back, but couldn't. Okay. So, um, if we go back to this article, we're coming up here on the break. Uh, when we come back from the break, I'm gonna let you hear a clip from Roland Martin, the filtered. So, uh, and to serve with love, he was coerced. I'm saying he was concerned. He was a concerned teacher in a tough London high school. And, and guess who's coming to dinner? A taboo breaking film about an interracial couple. He played a doctor whose race tests, uh, whose race tests the liberal principles of his perspective prospective in-laws played by Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. So I remember watching all these movies in the 1970s on TV. And I remember going to see, um, I remember going to see uh, less, uh, a piece of the action. No, no, Uptown Saturday Night. I remember going to see Uptown Saturday Night in the 1970s at the drive-in theater with my parents. And I was sitting in the back seat. They were in the front seat. And I remember the scene where Sidney Poitier is on the bridge. He jumps off the bridge to get the briefcase that has the lottery ticket in it. And Bill Cosby says, hey, fool, you can't swim. Right. I, re <laughs> I remember that as well. All right. You listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skin care and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation Future Radio. Okay, um, right before the break, we were talking about 
the uh, passing of uh, Sidney Poitier. And there is, uh, we were talking about the, this, this extensive article from the uh, New York Times um, dealing with uh, his legacy. But there was a, um, an article from the Washington Post also that I read. I read a few different articles um, uh, on Sidney Poitier. There was one from the Washington Post. Sidney Poitier, first black man uh, to win Oscar for Best Actor, dies at 94. Now, this one here is from the Washington Post. And uh, they talk about uh, on page four, I think it is, uh, or page, which page is that? Six. Uh, page two. They talk about the uh, movie In the Heat of the Night and the scene where he slaps Endicott. Okay. And it was Sidney Poitier who changes this scene. He talks about this in his um, uh, in his memoir, "The Measure of a Man," that came out in two thousand in the year two thousand. Uh, and let me see something here. I want to go to this right here. Okay, in the okay, so the chief played. Okay, let's back up. Perhaps his most enduring and defining part was Virgil Tibbs an experienced Philadelphia homicide detective who helps a bigoted white Mississippi police chief in a murder investigation in the, in the movie, in the heat of the night, 1967, the film marked the first appearance of a black law enforcement hero in a mainstream Hollywood movie. This, this, this movie, 1967, once again, a lot of times we want to judge movies based upon today's standards as opposed to the standards back at the time, because this was groundbreaking back in 1967. OK, this was this film marked the first appearance of a black law enforcement hero in a mainstream Hollywood movie. And he's he and he's a detective and he's going down there to Mississippi dealing with uh, he, he's a homicide detective. So he's dealing with techniques that they don't know down in Mississippi. He's a, he, I mean, he's really, really made them look stupid also, by the way. Now, the chief played by Rod Steiger, Chief Gillespie, makes fun of uh, the name Virgil and asks Virgil Tibbs what he is called in, Missis in Mississippi. Sidney Poitier shoots back with a mixture of pride and, and barely contained rage. They call me Mr. Tibbs, which was the sequel movie to this one here, and it was called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs as well, but it wasn't as good as In the Heat of the Night. I saw that too. Now, in the movie's most startling sequence, the prominent owner of a cotton plantation slaps Virgil Tibbs for not knowing his place, and Virgil Tibbs slaps him back reflexively. Sidney Poitier wrote in his memoir, The Measure of a Man in the Year 2000, that it was his idea for Virgil Tibbs to return the slap. I call it the slap heard around the world. Sidney Poitier said, quote, in the original script, I looked at him with great disdain and wrapped in my strong ideas, walked out. That could have happened. So in the scene, originally, originally in the script, Virgil Tibbs looks at uh, Endicott after Endicott slaps him. He looks at him with great disdain and walks out. Okay, that would, but but no, this is 1967. Okay, 
No. <laughs> so we're not, we're not going to do that. So Sidney uh, Poitier goes on and says, that could have happened with another actor playing the part, but it couldn't happen with me. That could have happened with another actor playing the part, but it couldn't happen with me, end quote. Sidney Poitier insisted on a change to the script because of a searing experience as a teenager in Florida that Sidney Poitier had with police when police stopped him for walking in a white neighborhood. Sidney Poitier said, quote, they really had their fun with me, he recalled in the book, uh, The Measure of a Man. He said they put a pistol right to my forehead and for 10 minutes, they just joked about whether to shoot me in the right eye or the left eye, end quote. As much as in the heat of the night secured his star luster, it was only one in a line of cinematic breakthroughs. In some of Sidney Poitier's finest films, he was a medical resident harassed by a racist Richard Widmark, Widmark in No Way Out 1950, was a really young Sidney Poitier. Uh, he was an escape chain, uh, escape prisoner chained to a bigot, uh, bigoted convict in Defiant Ones, opposite Tony Curtis, an ambitious chauffeur in A Raisin in the Sun, 1961, a play he also, uh, a part he also played in, in the 1959 Broadway play, and for which he received a Tony Award nomination. Okay, so read this one also from uh, the Washington Post, Sidney Poitier. First black man to win Oscar for best actor dies at 94. Okay, so uh, I want to switch gears here quickly. We're going to go to clip two, Shakita. Uh, I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday, January 7th. Roland did a big, um, he did a big uh, tribute to Sidney Poitier after we had a very short uh, panel. And he started, uh, the show started late. We did not, the panel did not get a chance to talk about Sidney Poitier. So I did it here on my show. But what we did talk about, one of the things we did talk about was the sentencing of the three white men uh, convicted of killing Ahmaud Arbery. Okay, let's go to this clip, Shakita. Of course, they could have gotten uh, the death penalty as well, but the judge chose to sentence them again to uh, life in uh, prison without parole. Brian, of course, doesn't have a possibility of parole because he showed formal remorse and actually cooperated uh, to, to uh, more than uh, the other two uh, individuals. Joining us right now is Matt Manning, civil rights attorney. We have uh, Killer Bethea, communication strategist, also Michael Imhotep, host of African History Network. Uh, Matt, uh, the judge opened this up by taking a moment of silence of one minute uh, to say that was a portion of the time Ahmaud uh, Arbery was running for his life. It was a total of five minutes. Uh, as I listened to him, and then he read back the comments of Gregory and Travis McMichael. As he was doing that, I'm sitting here going, this judge is not going to play with these guys here. Uh, he clearly uh, gave them essentially almost max penalty. That's exactly right, Roland. In, in the state of Georgia, a judge has a lot of latitude to determine whether someone's going to get parole or not get parole you know, on a, on a homicide case. And I thought Judge Walmsley did a magnificent job of delineating a number of the comments. I mean, the fact that Mr. McMichael likened Mr. Arbery to a rat and talked about him being trapped like an animal uh, underscores precisely what these men thought. They dehumanized them, and I think the judge was 
spot on, not only in his sentencing, but in delineating all of those quotes, because frankly, you know, there are going to be people who say that he bent to the pressure and his sentence is representative of, of, you know, liberals and all these other people who are angry about this. But the reality is this was a callous murder. And they said as much in their statements to the police. And he went through each one of those methodically. So I thought he did a wonderful job with that. And I thought that this sentence was definitely reflective of the evidence. So I'm very, very pleased with the outcome. Michael? Yeah, Roland, you know, I watched it live today. And when when Judge Wamsley started out with uh, a, a one minute of silence to show how long one minute was, and Ahmaud Arbery ran for his life for five minutes, I knew that he was going to lower the boom on him. So, you know, I, I, I think um, the, the sentencing was correct. I also uh, thought that uh, William Roddy Bryant would get um, a little – lesser of a sentence. So he got life in prison with the possibility of parole, where the other two got life in prison without the possibility of parole. So, you know, this is, um, I, I think this is uh, uh, a good um, sentencing, and we continue to fight this battle. Okay, pause it right there, Shakita. Okay, uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching for a few more minutes. I'm going to let you hear what happened in court uh, uh, dealing with the sentencing as well. Um, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And uh, we have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We are six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. You can register for my online courses at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. And a uh, uh, special happy Father's Day to the brothers of Five Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. My fraternity of Father's Day was yesterday, January 9th. Right now, it's correct for wrong behavior. It's not, over till we, uh, it's not over till we win. We'll count it forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, stand by. Okay, I want to go to... Um, Let's go to this clip here. This is what happened in court. Rest of their days behind bars. Young men with dreams. The father and son guilty of the 2020 murder of Ahmad Arbery will spend the rest of their days behind bars. Young men with dreams was gunned down in this community. Judge Timothy Wamsley calling it accountability for Greg and son Travis McMichael, a sentence of life without parole. And for neighbor William Bryan, a life sentence with the possibility of parole. The decision after hours of testimony, Ahmad Arbery's parents describing broken hearts that will never heal. Son, I love you as much today as I did today that you were born. Attorneys for the defendants calling life without parole a punishment too severe. Nothing in Travis McMichael's life suggests that he's a danger to society now or will be a danger to society 30 years from now. In the end, Judge Wamsley pointed to the McMichael's lack of remorse, even pausing to reflect on Ahmad's final moments. The 25-year-old was out for a jog when he was chased, shot, and killed. The judge noted Brian, who did express remorse, earned a parole possibility because of it. As for Arbery's family, relief to see justice. 
what will you go home with in your heart tonight? The day that I laid him out to rest, I told him that we will get justice. I have finally fulfilled that promise to Ahmad. We have justice for you. We got justice today. Will you sleep soundly? I will. In Brunswick, Georgia, Katie Beck, NBC News. All right. So uh, great reporting there from uh, NBC News. And uh, it's a good segment we did on Roland Martin Unfiltered also. Okay, so check out this. Uh, so once again, the three, um, once again, the three uh, men who were convicted, they were uh, convicted on, so Travis McMichael was convicted on all nine counts. Greg McMichael was convicted on, uh, I think it was eight out of nine counts. And... Um, William Roddy Bryan was convicted. He was convicted on six out of nine counts. So they were sentenced to, and if we look at the uh, article here from NBC News, uh, three men convicted of murdering Ahmaud Arbery sentenced to life in prison. Okay, the three uh, white men were found guilty of felony murder in November 2021 in the fatal shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, so the McMichaels got life in prison without the possibility of parole. And William Roddy Bryan got life in prison, prison with the possibility of parole. Um, William Bryan must serve at least 30 years in prison before he is eligible for parole. All right. Uh, all three men were convicted. Okay, they were convicted. Uh, okay, the, the, uh, they said that their, their attorney said they're going to appeal uh, the conviction. Before announcing the sentence, the judge asked the courtroom to sit in silence for one minute to illustrate a fraction of the time Ahmad Arbery was running in terror from the man before he was killed. Now, the sentences are in line with the request from uh, prosecutor uh, Linda Donikowski, who recommended uh, that William Roddy Bryan, who's 52 years old, get a chance at parole and that the McMichaels be denied the possibility of parole. It's also important to note, now we dealt with this in uh, our, our coverage of this case, it's also important to note that uh, Greg McMichaels and and Travis McMichael, uh, they were armed. William Roddy Bryan was not armed. He did not have a gun. That's a, that's a, that's something else that played. He showed remorse. But the other thing is, and this was something that was lost because I saw some of the reporting and they said all three had guns. No, they didn't. William Roddy Bryan did not have a gun. The other two did have guns. We dealt with that in our coverage of it. Some I'm watching some people on MSNBC and they were saying all three were armed. No, they weren't. That's not true. Now, um, prosecutor Linda Dunikowski said the father and son show no remorse or empathy for, quote, the trapped and terrified Ahmad Arbery, end quote. There were so many opportunities to stop, to think, Linda Dunikowski said, and there's the real problem. Greg McMichael was former law enforcement and Travis McMichael has served in the Coast Guard, Coast Guard 
Travis and Michael talked about being, uh, I think it was military police in the Coast Guard. And he talked about his law enforcement training and stuff like this. Okay. So Travis, Travis Michael really damaged his case when he took the witness stand. So here we have some men who should have known better. Linda, Dunn Linda Dunnikowski, uh, told the judge Friday morning at sentencing, she said, Vig vigilantism always goes wrong. Vigilantism always goes wrong. Now, defense attorneys argued in favor of parole for all three men. An attorney for Travis McMichael said he should have the opportunity to uh, show that he's grown, to show that he's changed. Okay, but to change, to show that you change, you actually have to change, but okay. The attorney, the, the attorney Robert Rubin said a parole board should determine if and when Travis McMichael is released from prison. Gregory McMichael's attorney, Laura Hogue, asked the judge to consider that the 66-year-old did not intend for Ahmaud Arbery to die. Okay, Gregory McMichael, the father. All right. Now, William Bryan's attorney said his client was in a different position because he showed remorse and cooperated with police by turning over the cell phone video of the shooting. It's that cell phone video that exposed them and crucified them. Okay. Uh, but the other thing is, is um, a, another mitigating factor for Brian was that he was not armed. Mr. Brian isn't the one who brought a gun Kevin Gow, his defense attorney, Ke Kevin Gow, we don't want any more black pastors here. That's Kevin Gow. Okay. We, we don't want any more black pastors or, or golf. He was unarmed. And I think that reflects his intentions. Okay. Um, so read the rest of this article here. Three men convicted of murdering Ahmaud Arbery sentenced to life in prison. I want to go back to uh, the, the other part of this segment here from Roland Martin and Filter. We were short on time there um, on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Uh, so just bear with me for a minute here while I cue this clip up. Let me back it up. Okay. We'll go to Kelly Bathia and then we'll come back to me. Or nationally, internationally, as opposed to the horrific details of the last five minutes of his life. Was also uh, I thought was uh, was interesting here um, was the fact that we're not at this point if Brian does it and his attorney don't release that video. Uh, it was three months right. after the fact. Uh, you had multiple prosecutors who were covering up for them who declined to prosecute. They released the video. The mother was putting pressure. The father was putting pressure. The family and the attorneys were putting pressure for action. They, Brian and his attorney then released the video thinking that was going to exonerate him. Mm -hmm. And it was that video which led to the Georgia right. Bureau investigation getting involved, which led to that, that happening, which led to them being indicted, them being convicted. So Brian is going to spend a lot of time in prison, life with a possibility of parole for video him and his lawyers released. That? Yeah. Well, his lawyers made a very, very bad strategic mistake, but it was in the support of justice, right? So ultimately, you know, thankfully, they made that mistake because otherwise this may not have been brought to light the way it was. 
there were people advocating, but, you know, video evidence is the best evidence. And I think that's very important, especially because Judge Walmsley, again, when uh, sentencing Mr. Bryan, talked about how he used his vehicle in the commission of this crime. So had they been a little smarter um, in their strategy, he may not be sitting there at the table, at least not indicted. But I'm glad that they released that video so he, too, could be held to account for his crimes. Michael? You know, Roland, as uh, Tiffany Cross would say, the caucasity of it. You So you actually think this video of Ahmaud Arbery being hunted down and executed, you think this is going to absolve you? You see, th this is th and, 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 and it's important for us to understand this in the context of Georgia. Georgia is the state that has the largest Confederate monument anywhere in this country. It's called Stone Mountain. And the the 1863 uh, Georgia Fugitive Slave Law that turned into this uh, citizen's arrest law that they concocted after the fact that was specifically designed for fugitive runaway slaves running away from Georgia plantations when Georgia was part of the Confederacy, running uh, behind Union lines. It was targeting them. Okay, so just to think that this video of Ahmad being executed is somehow going to absolve William Roddy Bryan is just just shows how stupid these people are. Um, absolutely, uh, Kelly. But again, thankfully, and it's unfortunate that if we didn't have that video, we're probably not here. I mean, thank God for video, right? But also thank God for the shift in legal culture being that black people deserve justice as well. Because if you just look at the optics of this entire case, you had a white prosecutor, white judge, white uh, attorneys on the defense. Um, if I'm not mistaken, majority white jury uh, and everything, maybe not even 20 years ago, had this case been... Uh, tried 20 years ago, we would have had a very different result, even with all the evidence mm -hmm. laid out. So the fact that we are now in a culture that is shifting, it is no, it is not perfect by any means, um, but it is shifting in the, in the, in the direction towards justice for everyone, which is really what the law is supposed to do in the first place. Um, the irony being that these laws were not meant for black people to thrive in, and yet here we are getting justice anyway. Um, uh, absolutely. All right, folks, going to go to a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about the passing of Lonnie Guineer, uh, the legendary civil rights attorney. She died today at the age of 71. And then we'll pay tribute to the great Sidney Poitier. All right. Okay, so that was uh, from Roland Martin Unfiltered from Friday, January 7th, uh, 2022. All right, I'm usually at panelists each Friday. Uh, we hadn't been on, um, hadn't been on the past, well, he hadn't broadcasted the past two Fridays because of the holidays. Read this article here from fastcompany.com. So we've talked about this a number of times here on the show, and we dealt with the history of the citizens arrest law, uh, especially the one in Georgia. The troubling history of citizens arrests from slave patrols to Ahmad Arbery to ICE. This is from July 20th, 2020 for, um, um, this is from July 20th, 2020 uh, from fastcompany.com. All right, and it, and it deals with uh, 1863 also in Georgia. Georgia was part of the Confederacy. They weren't even part of the United States in 1863. They were part of the Confederacy when they passed that law 
targeting future runaway slaves that became the citizens arrest law. All right. Um, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And be sure to register for the online courses I teach on um, Saturdays and Sundays on the weekend. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understand the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, and from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So we do the classes live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. Uh, even a year from now, you can go back and watch the full class. Uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, our next class is going to be Saturday, January 15th, Saturday, January 15th, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And in this class, um, we deal with, each class we deal with about a 10, 15, maybe 20-year period of history. We start in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase, okay? And we deal with what leads up to the Civil War taking place. Uh, we have a special bundle pack right now. You can register for both classes for only $70. They're regularly $130 each. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can watch from around the world. And then you'll also get ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Um, so I'm going to post a link here again. Do a PowerPoint presentation. We, we have book references, uh, articles, video clips. Uh, all that in the class. And uh, I'm going to post this right here. Okay, the bundle. And it's on the homepage of our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com also. All right, now, and then we have the uh, 15, uh, my, fifth, my Black History Month 15 DVD bundle pack as well, right on the homepage. These are 15 of my lectures that I've done dealing with history. Uh, they're all in one bundle pack. It's on sale $100. Okay. We'll post this link as well. It's right on the homepage of our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This is great for African-American History Month or any time of the year, but especially uh, African-American History Month. And one of the presentations um, in the bundle pack deals with the origins of African-American History Month as well. Okay. It deals with Dr. Carter G. Woodson. It deals with the origins of uh, Black History Month, which now is known as African American History Month. It deals with the creation of the Association for the Study of uh, Negro Life and History in um, 1915, September 9th, 1915. You click right here, order here. It shows the uh, 15 uh, lectures all done by me. Okay, I have about 40, I think it's maybe 45 of my presentations on DVD and digital downloads. But it include it, you can it shows you all the presentations you can buy the presentations individually or in this bundle pack so you get um the almost three hour lecture i did dealing with the film black panther and i show how the film black panther relates to african history african culture african language african spiritual systems uh black panther is a deep movie on multiple levels I, I did about three months of research um to be able to do the lectures uh that i do on the film black panther Okay, I did some deep research on the film uh, and the comic book. Okay, so you get this one right here. Uh, you also get, let me back up here. Uh, this is a three-hour presentation. 
and most of these are PowerPoint presentations I'm doing there. They're, so they're visual uh, video clips, tons of references for you, for you to research this information as well. This deals with the history of African-American history month. And I also deal with dispelling myths about our history as well. Black uh, breaking the chains while we celebrate African-American history month, exposing the myths. Okay. Breaking the chains while we celebrate African, African-American history month, exposing the myths. Contrary to popular belief, uh, white people did not give us Black History Month. That was something we created, okay, out of self-determination. The second principle of uh, the Nguzu Saba, Kujichagalia, self-determination, second principle, uh, seventh principle in, in, in Kwanzaa, second principle in Kwanzaa of the seven principles. We created that. And I, and I still hear people today say white people gave us Black History Month and we got the shortest month of the year and all this stuff. Well, number one, the reason why it's in February is because the birth dates of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass are in February, February 12th for Abraham Lincoln. And uh, the assumed birth date of Frederick Douglass is February 14th because Douglass didn't know his date of birth and he didn't know exactly which year he was born. He said it was either 1817 or 1818. So there were already celebrations that African-Americans had back at that time uh, in that second week in February surrounding those birth dates okay so dr carter g woodson puts his new cultural celebration within that period of time because there were already celebrations going on white people didn't give us that we created that but as i say in many of my presentations if you just have to have 30 days to celebrate black history month you just have to have 30 days for it to feel legitimate to you you do realize you can still celebrate Black History Month, March 1st and March 2nd, right? If you just have to have 30 days just to feel legitimate, just to feel like a whole person, you can you can still celebrate March 1st and March 2nd. There's no law saying you can't do it. So, okay. Um, this one right here, Malcolm X, 50 years later, why is he still relevant? I need to put a... Um, need to put a thumbnail up for that one also. So this deals with uh, Malcolm's life, but it also deals with his impact on conscious hip hop as well in the late 80s, early 90s. I did this June 24th, 2017 in uh, Lansing, Michigan. Okay. And and Lansing, Michigan is one of the cities Malcolm X lived in. He lived in East Lansing and also in Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan, and also Lansing, Michigan. So you, so you get this one uh, also. And then um, I have a, presentation dealing with the revolutionary Dr. King, not the Dr. King they like to show us on the television every uh, Dr. King day. This one here, and we know Dr. King day is coming up and I'm speaking at a college in uh, West Virginia on Dr. King day, my first time speaking in West Virginia. That should be interesting because Donald Trump won West Virginia by 40 points in 2016 and 2020. Uh, but I'm speaking at the Dr. King day celebration at the, uh, Black Student Union is is doing at this college in West Virginia. I wonder if I'm going to see Joe Manchin while I'm there in West Virginia. That'd be interesting. I have a, uh, some words, uh, have some things I want to say to Joe Manchin. But uh, the distortion, of, the distortion of the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the revolutionary, will not be televised on the television. The distortion of the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the revolutionary will not be televised on the television. So I deal with the revolutionary Dr. King, not the Dr. King that they want to show us 
every Dr. King day. I do it. The Dr. King tried to get a concealed pistol license in Montgomery, Alabama, 1956 during the Montgomery bus boycott. And we know Dr. King's house was firebombed twice in 1956. Also, you know, I deal with the, the Dr. King who, um, meets with uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, February 24th, 1966. Our people don't know that. Uh, uh, Dr. King and Coretta Scott King go to Elijah Muhammad's house in Chicago uh, uh, almost one year to the date after Malcolm was assassinated, February 21st, 1965. Uh, Dr. King goes and meets with Elijah Muhammad. Now this, uh, this one here, Lessons from the Film Black Panther, Economic guerrilla warfare, political self-defense, and how to Wakanda the vote. This this one, what I do is I look at how do we take the enthusiasm, okay, of the film Black Panther? How do we take that enthusiasm and use it for economic empowerment and uh, political empowerment, right? And how we look at, take themes from the film Black Panther and use it for that. Lessons from the film Black Panther, economic guerrilla warfare and po political self-defense and how to Wakanda the vote. And Wakanda the vote was an actual campaign that a group of African-American women put together uh, opening weekend uh, that Black Panther debuted in, in February 2018. And they had volunteers who went out to the movie theaters to talk to African-Americans who are going to see the film Black Panther, to talk to them about politics, to talk to them about issues that concern them and how politics related to the issues that concern them to, to elevate their conscience level, to understand why the vote is important, why it's important to vote and vote strategically. That's called Wakanda the vote. That was an actual campaign. Those are things I deal with in, in that presentation. Now this one here, the three first compromise of 1787, and uh, the Electoral College and slavery. This breaks down the Three-Fifths Compromise, Article One, Section Two, Clause Three of the U.S. Constitution, and the Electoral College. How the Electoral College works as well. It's not the Electoral College. There's no I in the word. It's Electoral College. I also deal with the Twelfth Amendment of 1803 that modified the Electoral College as well. All right, now. Um, we also deal with this one here. This presentation, uh, 13 forms of wealth. This deals with, um, entrepreneurship and economic empowerment, 13 forms of wealth. Keys to entrepreneurship, economic empowerment. Okay. Cause I taught entrepreneurship for seven years. So you get this one and we deal with some famous African-American entrepreneurs. And we deal with the uh, 13 key traits that successful African-American entrepreneurs need to have. This one here, the racist history of the white national anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. I deal with the history of the Pledge of Allegiance and the national anthem and deal with Francis Scott Key, who wrote the, uh, uh, what, what was known as the, the defense of Fort McHenry Okay, September 1814 during the War of 1812. And then it's going to become known as the Star Spangled Banner and becomes adopted as the national anthem. Uh, so I deal with that history and also uh, the history of the Pledge of Allegiance written in 1892 by a Methodist minister, uh, a socialist Methodist minister named Francis Bellamy. Uh, 
uh, well, he's a Baptist minister, socialist Baptist minister named Francis Bellamy. Okay. He was a socialist. So all these Republicans, they want to talk about the Pledge of Allegiance. They probably don't know a socialist wrote it. Wouldn't they be surprised? They'll probably stop saying the Pledge of Allegiance if they um, knew that a socialist wrote it. But Donald Trump has already started saying the Pledge of Allegiance because he, did, he doesn't, didn't know the words to it. So, But we deal with this. And then I tie all that into Colin Kaepernick's protests and deal with the origins of Colin Kaepernick's protests. I tie all those together. All right, now. Okay, so you so you get that one as well. Uh, this is a double lecture I did with uh, my friend, Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. We did a double lecture here in Detroit a few years ago. So he dealt with research uh, for his book. And I dealt with uh, great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. This is a four-hour presentation right here, redistributing the pain how African-Americans fought back with economic boycotts. So redistributed the pain comes from uh, Dr. King's last speech, April 3rd, 1968. He talked about redistributing the pain to those inflicting pain upon us. He talked about economic withdrawal strategies. He said, uh, we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. So in this presentation, what I do is um, we look at some uh, actual historical uh, examples of us using different types of economic withdrawal strategies to fight back against white supremacy. And I still can't figure out, like I was watching Insight Ufa today from the New Georgia Project on MSNBC, and I was watching um, um, from um, Black Voters Matter. Um, I, well, I actually saw both of them, uh, Latasha Brown and uh, Cliff Albright. Cliff Albright was on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Latasha Brown was on uh, MSNBC. I think she was on with Joanne Reed. And, and uh, uh, out of the three of them, love them all, but none of them talked about putting economic pressure on corporations who um, in July of, uh, July of 2021 signed on to a, um, a letter supporting the passing of the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act. NBCnews.com had this article. We talked about this as well as the one that came out from New York Times a few days ago that dealt with how 717 corporations have donated $18 million to 143 of the 147 traders Republicans who voted not to certify the 2020 presidential elections. That was, that was a big article from the New York Times. We talked about it on my January 6th show commemorating uh, when we dealt with the uh, insurrection the one year anniversary of the insurrection. Okay. We talked about that on, on the January 6th show. So if you missed the January 6th show, I'll go back and watch that. Cause we did, we got deep into all of this. This one right here. This is from the New York times, January 6th, 2022. Let me pull this one up. Corporations donated millions to lawmakers who voted to overturn election results. January 6, 2022. One year after the Capitol riot, many businesses resumed corporate donations to lawmakers who voted against certifying the 2020 election. So wait a second. So you got these white corporations that are continuing to finance these domestic terrorist sympathizers 
and continuing to finance Republicans who voted to nullify the African-American vote and not certify the 2020 election results. Now, all the activists, I love them. I love them. I don't understand why they're not talking about this. I, I, I understand it. We should be putting economic pressure on these people. April 3rd, because I hear people keep talking about Dr. King, but Dr. King said we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. Our article dealing with this a few years ago. Why did Dr. King tell us to redistribute the pain, understanding the power of economic withdrawal? You can read it at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Just click on read articles by Michael M. Hotel. So I don't understand why they're not talking about this. If if I know this with my meager resources, I don't understand why they're not pushing this. A report published this week by Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, a nonprofit watchdog group, showed how corporate money, let's, let's increase the size of this because I don't want people to say, oh, I couldn't see it. You know, my eyes are bad or something. No, I want everybody to see this. Okay. All the organizations, this is what we should be focused on because I hear people saying, okay, we want this. We want the Voting Rights Act passed and blah, blah, blah. But oftentimes we don't understand how to leverage our economics to enforce our to enforce our political agenda. We have to leverage our economics to enforce our political agenda. And, and one of the things I really don't understand is how you have people who say, okay, so if Democrats don't do this, we ain't going to vote. Which to me is dumb as hell. That means you really didn't want it in the first damn place. Because first and foremost, the obstructionists are Republicans. First and foremost, the obstructionists are Republicans. And you can go to Congress.gov and all these bills that people say that they want. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act, George Floyd Justice Policing Act, whatever it is, reparations. It tells you who voted for the bill and who voted against the bill. Overwhelmingly, the only people that vote for the bill are Democrats. Overwhelmingly, the only people that vote for these bills are Democrats. So what I don't understand is how the hell are you going to let the obstructionists take back control of the House and the Senate who keep voting against your own interests? I don't even understand stuff like that. Almost cussed. I don't even understand stuff like that. It makes no sense whatsoever. The only people, the, the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed the House of Representatives in August of 2021 by a vote of 219 to 211. All the Republicans in the House voted against the bill. You're going to let those people take back control of the House who keep voting against your own interests? The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed the House of Representatives March 3rd, 2021 by a vote of 220 to 212. The only people that voted for the bill were Democrats. And the one Republican that voted for the bill put out a tweet and said he made a mistake and accidentally voted for the bill. He was going to change his vote. No Republicans voted for the bill. You're going to let those people take back control of the House? You must not want it in the first place. You can't You can't want it and you're going to let these people, these, do, these traders, these domestic terrorists who voted against certifying the vote to undermine the African-American vote, you're going to let those people take back control of the House? Obviously, you didn't want the shit in the first place. If you're going to let them keep voting against your own interests and then let them take back control of the House and the Senate, you obviously didn't want it. I don't understand stuff like this. Maybe you do. I don't. 
We have to leverage our economics to enforce our political agenda. You have to force this through. This is understanding what happens after the vote. A lot of our people don't understand what happens after the vote, holding people accountable and also blocking people who are trying to do you harm and vote against your own interests. This is why I know that you, I keep people hearing people say you got to put more pressure on, on Joe Biden, Joe Biden. Okay. Uh, number one, last time I checked, Senator Chuck Schumer controlled the Senate. Joe Biden doesn't control the Senate. The Senate is the legislative branch of government. Joe Biden's an executive branch of government. Joe Biden can meet with senators. Senators don't work for Joe Biden. Are you serious? Senator Joe Manchin is from Wisconsin. I mean, West Virginia. Wisconsin has dumbass Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, conspiracy theorist Ron Johnson just announced today he's going to run for a second. Uh, he's going to run for a third term. He needs to be crushed. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican, the conspiracy theorist Ron Johnson of Wisconsin needs to be crushed, to totally humiliated in, 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 in this midterm election. But that's another story. Donald Trump won, Wisconsin, won West Virginia by 40 points in 2016 and 2020. In, 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 in 2020, I think Joe Biden got about 29% of the vote in, in West Virginia. West Virginia is a red state. African-Americans only make up 3.5% of the population in West Virginia. This is why I've said before, and, and I posted, uh, I was watching Roland Martin Unfiltered today, and, and, and none of them mentioned economic pressure on corporations. I still don't understand this. I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand this. I've said before, as much as I love John Lewis, John Lewis was one of my frat brothers. Never met him. Saw him at a distance when I was at the um, CBC weekend uh, broadcasting for the Empowerment Radio Network back in 2016. As much as I love John Lewis, I've said this before. You've heard me say this before. Heard me say this. I posted this on um, Roland Martin Unfiltered today when it aired at 6 o'clock on um, Facebook. You go back and you watch the broadcast that originally aired at 6 o'clock. You see my post there. I said it was a tactical mistake to name the uh, Voting Rights Act after John Lewis. Now, I know he wrote the majority of the bill, but you got to get that bill passed through the Senate. There's only two and a half black people in the entire U.S. Senate, and one of them, and the reason why I say half, is because Senator Tim Scott, Black Tea Party Republican from South Carolina, half the time he doesn't act like he's black. Tim Scott, Tim Scott's not voting for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. You know who I would have named the bill after? Understanding white people and understand how many white people in the Senate. There's only two and a half black people in the Senate. Senate is not the House of Representatives. Okay? The overwhelming majority of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus are in the House of Representatives because the House district is 710,000 people. Whereas, whereas, as a senator, you, you have to run statewide. And you represent millions of people who, in the state. Okay? The, the, the structure of the Senate is different than the House of Representatives. I would have named the bill after Susan B. Anthony. Why? Well, she was a racist. She ain't like black people. Well, hell, I don't like her either. We're trying to get a damn bill passed. What do you want? This ain't a popularity contest. We need to get the bill passed. I would have named the bill after Susan B. Anthony or 
some other white suffrage activist. She's she's the one that comes to mind right now. She's the most prominent one that I can think of. Why? Because when you name the bill after Susan B. Anthony, you put the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution front and center. People keep making this a black issue. I'm saying, damn, you must want to lose or delay or delay winning. Because when you if, if they name the bill after Susan B. Anthony, as opposed to naming it after John Lewis, now you put white women's voting rights and you put women's voting rights, but especially white women's voting rights front and center and show that white women's voting rights are in jeopardy. You put the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the 1920 front and center, as opposed to focusing on the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Because you have to broaden who this deals with and who is in jeopardy of losing ground. It's not just African-Americans. It's white women, it's white college students, it's Latinos, things like this. When, when, when you put your John Lewis's name on the bill, and I love John Lewis. John Lewis wrote the majority of the bill. I understand that. But Joe Manchin wrote a lot of the Freedom to Vote Act. They ain't naming after Joe Manchin. I'm like, you got to understand white people and understand you got to get this bill passed. African-Americans only make up a small percentage of Arizona where Christian Cinema is. Now, Christian Cinema, if you name it after, if you named it after Susan B. Anthony, as opposed to trying to make this a black issue, but focus on actually getting the bill passed. Now, Christian Cinema, you go tell those white women you're not going to stand up for their voting rights. That ain't going to happen. Now, Joe Manchin, you go tell white women in West Virginia that you're not going to stand up and protect their voting rights. See, as long as it's put into a black category, you can push it off to the side. I'm like, damn, yo, I don't understand this. You, we have to understand long range planning and understand strategy in actually getting the bill passed in the, in the House and the Senate and getting it signed in the law. I would have named the bill after Susan B. Anthony. But that's just how I think. I'm thinking we have to understand to the finish line. This is a sprint. This is a marathon, not a sprint. This is a marathon, not a sprint. This is why I'm listening to people and they keep talking about black this, black that. I'm like, damn, you must not want this stuff to pass. Go, go to Senate.gov and look at the people in the U.S. Senate. There's only two black people in the Senate that vote for this stuff. Senator Cory Booker and Senator Raphael Warnock. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina Republic, he don't vote for this stuff that we advocate for. I'm just, okay, that's what you want to do. Okay. Um, let me go back to this. Now I got to get out of here. I work to do. So, but once again, go to Congress.gov, and it's like you know, I I I I watch MSNBC and I'm looking at these people up here getting paid. I don't get paid to do none of this stuff. Most of it, sometimes few speaking engagements i get i get a couple hundred dollars for to get paid for that and i'm listening to them and i'm like why aren't they saying this i don't understand this it's just like um i was watching today i watched amisha cross well i know amisha we're, we're panelists sometimes we're rolling out in our filter i watched amisha on the black news channel i'm what i'm watching all this coverage of the speech Biden is going to give tomorrow in Georgia. 
Not one person mentioned the virtual meeting that Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris had with key Democratic senators who are, who are against changing the filibuster. That was before they went on recess. Coming out of that meeting, Senator uh, Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, who's a Democrat, who was against changing the filibuster, came out of that meeting and said, we have to change the filibuster. And she went on Roland Martin, she, not Roland Martin, she went on Rachel Maddow's show. And it's at MSNBC.com. Just, just search for uh, uh, Senator Maggie Hassan. And she told Rachel, said, we got to change the filibuster. Th that, that was on a Thursday. That Wednesday, there was a meeting. We talked about it here on this show. The civil rights organizations had with key Democratic senators that Senator uh, Gary Peters of Michigan, my, one of my senators, that uh, Senator Gary Peters organized. Senator John Hickenlooper of Colorado was in that meeting. And he was, and these were senators who, these were Democratic senators who were against changing the filibuster. And I can understand part of it because nobody wants to say, I, I keep watching this stuff and nobody's saying this. Democrats used the filibuster or the threat of the filibuster a number of times during the Trump administration to block harmful bills from Republicans. I don't understand why nobody's saying this. Am I the only one that reads the Washington Post? I don't understand this. Senator John Hickenlooper of Colorado came out of that meeting and tweeted, we have to change the filibuster. Could be able to get this voting rights bill passed. These are, because it's not two senators, it's not two Democratic senators who are against changing the filibuster. It's like eight or nine of them. And there's progress being made with them because they're seeing how dire the situation is and they're seeing what's coming out of the, the January 6th committee and the plot that's being exposed and how intricate the plot was that's being exposed that the January 6th committee is exposing. And they're like, oh, hell no. They said, we got to change this. I, I hear people say, well, they changed the filibuster. I was watching Roland Martin Unfiltered today. Roland Martin Unfiltered and, and uh, Joe Madison, the Black Eagle, was on. He's on the 64th day of a fast. Uh, well, no, uh, uh, hunger strike. Hunger strike. Uh, 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 drawing attention to voting rights, things like this. And they say, well, they passed a bill to uh, raise the debt limit. They, they changed the, they did a carve out to the filibuster to get the debt limit passed. But nobody's saying that 14 Republicans voted along with it. That's why they did it. It wasn't Democrats alone that did that. No, what happened was, for we talked about this here on this show, 14 Republicans voted along with the Democrats to allow the to to, to uh, do a carve out to the filibuster, to allow the Democrats to raise the debt limit, because Republicans in the midterm elections then want to turn around and blame Democrats for raising the debt limit. That's why they did it. I'm listening to people who's I get they I guess they're supposed to know what they're talking about because they're on TV, and they're not saying this. It's like how the hell do I know this? Fourteen GOP senators, CNN.com. 14 GOP senators broke a filibuster to advance debt limit fast track process. It wasn't Democrats alone that voted on this. It was, it was 14 Republicans that voted the week before the debt limit was raised. Why did they do it? They did it so they could then blame Democrats in the midterm elections for raising the filibuster. 
Now, this article is from December 9th, 2021. The Senate voted on Thursday to advance a bill to create a fast track process allowing Democrats to raise the federal debt limit. A crucial next step as lawmakers race the clock to avert a catastrophic debt default. All right. So the vote. So to get there. The plan supporters needed to break a GOP filibuster, which required 64 votes to succeed. The vote tally was 64 to 36, meaning 14 Republican, 14 Senate Republicans crossed the aisle to vote with Democrats who control only only 50 seats in the chamber. Because as I keep explaining to people, a 50-50 slim majority in the Senate is not the same thing as a 60-40 majority in the Senate. Most of these bills, it takes 60 votes to get passed. Democrats don't have that. And you're dealing with outright obstructionist Republicans. These are the 14 Senate Republicans who crossed the aisle to vote to advance the debt limit track uh, process. They, now, check this out. They voted. You have 14 Republicans who voted to advance the debt limit uh, to, to break the filibuster. They, they, 14 Republicans voted to break the filibuster. But none of, the, none of the Republicans voted to actually raise the debt limit. Game recognizes game. They, the Republicans did this so they could then blame Democrats in the 2022 midterm election for raising the debt limit. Because when the actual vote came to actually raise the debt limit, it was only Democrats that, that voted to, to raise the debt limit. John Thune of South, uh, uh, South Dakota. Mitch McConnell was one of the 14 Republicans that voted. Miss McConnell is shrewd. So when I hear people saying, oh, well, they broke the filibuster to raise the debt limit. No, you ain't saying why they did it. You're not saying why Republicans did it. Shelley Moore Capitol is the other senator from West Virginia. She's a Republican. Shelley Moore Capitol, a lot of people don't even know who the hell Shelley Moore Capitol is. She's the other senator from West Virginia. She's a Republican. West Virginia is a very red state. It's a poor, it's a poor ass state also. It's, it's a poor ass state also, which explains a lot too. Um, read the rest of this. We, we, we talked about this. Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. Lisa Murkowski was the only senator to vote uh, for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And that was just a procedural vote to vote to a debate on the Senate floor. She's the only one that voted for that bill. But Republican. No, senator Tim Scott didn't even vote for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. This is what I don't understand. So, so you're going to let these obstructionist Republicans stop you from what you say that you want? I don't even understand that. You must not want it. All right. Um, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, we're talking about this DVD bundle pack. Redistribute the pain, how African-Americans fought back with economic boycotts. a four-hour presentation we go through and document historical examples of using economic withdrawal strategies to fight back against white supremacy and racism this one here this is part of the 15 dvd bundle pack that's on sale hundred dollars black history month bundle pack these are all lectures i've done human guinea pig the history of the tuskegee experiment of untreated syphilis and the negro male now i separate fact from fiction it is not none of this bs you see floating around in memes and things like this okay there were 600 men in the study. They did not inject it with syphilis. I don't know where people got that analysis from. No, they didn't. There were 600 men in the study. 
two, um, 399 of the men had an early form of syphilis called latent syphilis. I actually did research on this. The other 201 men did not have syphilis at all. They were the control group. When you do experiments, you have a control group. The control group, you don't expose to the stimuli. The group that's exposed to the stimuli, you compare the two. The, the, it was supposed to last for six to nine months, ended up lasting 40 years. Great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. So four, it's actually a four hour presentation, two DVD set. We deal with some well-known and not so well-known African women in our history from all different time periods. Now this one right here, uh, I did this for children. I was presenting to 50 or uh, 60, 50 through 12th graders and their teachers. We did this at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, uh, a Black Panther analysis for children. And I'm showing how to use the film Black Panther, how it relates to African history and culture, things like this, how they can use it to teach our history. Um, this one right here, if we knew this information in 2016 before the election, we would have stopped Trump. African American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and our elections have consequences. And then this three hour presentation deals with the origins of, uh, the pre-Christian origins of Christmas, uh, ancient Kemet, the winter solstice, and the history of Christmas. All right, so that's um, part of the 15 DVD bundle pack. It's on sale $100 right now. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com is right on the home page, So you can order that. We'll post a link here again. All right, look, we have to get out of here. African-American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. Email us at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Email us at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll let you know how you can uh, advertise with the African History Network. Current promotion is uh, buy uh, one month, get two months free. All right. We, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. iRedify is a Black-owned digital platform that showcases Black and Brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read ebooks, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skincare and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really 
recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese. Because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we've suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Come and travel with me to a time long ago and place far away. You will experience high adventure and excitement. You are fighting alongside an ancient army in fierce battle. Feel the exhilaration of struggle and final conquest. My name is Maninkare and I am both a prince and a priest in one of the most advanced civilizations humans have ever produced. I want you to ride with me in my chariot as I slay the barbarians who have come to invade my land. I invite you to sit at the conference table with the great Pharaoh Taharqa and his ministers as they plan intrigue and use subterfuge to outmaneuver and defeat the enemy. Come back with me to the land of your ancestors, to the beautiful land of Kemet. So open the pages of this book and begin the adventure. Find out what happens in the book Maninkare Battles the Assyrians in the Nile Valley from author Makari Jones. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. Soul in Motion, celebrating 38 years in the arts. This energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist Michael Friend and is led by choreographer, associate director Pam Lassiter. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion, celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion. Theater, African dance, and drumming since 1984. African spirit cars specialize in the design and printing of high-quality African-centered note cards and stationery. African Spirit Cards breathes and rejoices in the African and African American experiences. They honor our African heritage and all that they do for you by proudly displaying the great motifs and ornamentations of the African world diaspora. They use African images, African proverbs, and many African languages to fully immerse their clients in the wisdom and history of and the connection to Africa. They understand the importance of having images around us that reflect who we are. These images also illustrate where we came from and what we desire to be. They are here to serve you. 
Follow them on Instagram at African Spirit Cards, that's African with a K. They have a wide selection. Check out their holiday selection at Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash African Spirit Cards. That's Etsy, E-T-S-Y. You can give them a call at 313-995-3579, 313-995-3579. You can email them at Janelle Designs at AfricanSpiritCards.com. That's J-A-N-A-L Designs at AfricanSpiritCards.com and place your order today. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now.